0: Guess who's back? That's right. After a long hiatus, I broke out the podcast gear. And I decided it's time to start podcasting again. I had every intention of going back and looking to see the date of my last podcast. But I didn't do it. If you want to look, go ahead. You can check it out. But I think it was late summer 2016. So today... I'm recording at a little cabin in the middle of nowhere, Tennessee. I say middle of nowhere. I mean, is there really, is anything really the middle of nowhere anymore? I'm like um, an hour south of Nashville, and I think I found my new favorite place. I'm going to get into all the details, but I needed to get away. Uh, Today is July 9th, 2020. And I'm hoping that someday, like a hundred years from now, someone's going to go back and listen to this and they're not going to remember the significance of spring and summer of 2020. And I'll give you a little hint. Rhymes with Movid 15. <laughs> I'm not good with it on the spot rhyming. That's why I'm not a rapper, but COVID-19 and that's got everyone in a tizzy. If you remember from my last podcast, I mentioned that I was going back to Texas to start a brewery. That was in 2016. And yep, it's 2020. And we started a brewery almost exactly a year ago. And the very month that we had sustainability, meaning we had more cash coming in than going out, was the same month that COVID-19 strangled Texas. I'll say strangled. We don't know yet. We're not there, but we're in the thick of it. It definitely crippled us. Man, I feel like I've got so much to talk about. I have a feeling I'm going to say, well, let me back up a little bit, a lot over the next few podcasts. So first thing first, I'm on new equipment. I broke out the old stuff, which I don't know if anyone knows, but my business partner and one of my best friends, Kale, and I went halves on this podcast setup. Man, I think it was like... 2010, or maybe 2013, I don't know, somewhere in there. And it wasn't brand new. We bought it used. I think we paid $900 for it, and it was three headphones, three mics, and an audio interface. And over time, as technology changed, the way that the audio interface connected to the computer became a little bit outdated. So the audio interface takes analog audio, which is, you know, no different than recording on a record player. And converting it to digital so you can put it on your computer, you can edit it, you can compress it, and whatnot. So the computer that I was using to run everything, which I'd like to just say for the record, the MacBook Pro, I believe, was a laptop that I got in 2011, and it was like a 17-inch screen. And that thing went from 2011 to 2019 solid. Like the only thing I did, I had a new battery put in it, and I uh, I think I had that twice maybe. I put five hundred bucks in at one time and like two fifty another time. Other than that, I had no problems with it. It was a machine, no viruses, nothing. And so, either way, they discontinued that model. They couldn't update my computer anymore. They said, "Look, you're just gonna have to go buy a new computer." And I went and I got another uh, Mac laptop. And you know, Mac being so clever, there's only one kind of plug on the side and it's a USB-C. Well, the old equipment didn't have that kind of plug. So I went round and round trying to find converters and adapters. And then I thought, well, maybe I'll just get a new computer and keep the old audio interface. And then I said, you know what? Like I spend my life trying to circumvent systems. I just need to get a new audio interface. And so I did ordered one on Amazon and, um, yeah, it's it's a it's night and day different than the old one. Super easy, connects, no problem. The last time we would set up, it would take us like an hour to set everything up, and we would never know how to do it. We would take pictures, make drawings, and still stand around and scratch our heads trying to figure it out. But So we're all good here. This is my first recording with it. I hope the audio is good. I hope I still remember how to edit and all that good stuff. I have no idea off the top of my head how to like upload it, but I can figure it out. I've got two weeks here at this cabin and my main goal was to unplug from all the stress of the COVID and mask and protesting and riots and looting and police brutality. And I mean, you just, if you're listening to this hundred years from now, you should to go back and just check the news from like early 2020. It's been nonstop. We've got a reality show for our president and guess what? The country is a current reality show. I'm not going to go with the president right now. I'm going to talk a little bit about what the future of this podcast is going to look like. You know, originally it was set up to give a, a, a glimpse of my life in Nicaragua and, you know, it was like living in paradise, but I've done a lot since then and now. And I think that like paradise can be wherever you are or wherever you go or whatever you do. And so I'm just going to keep it life in paradise, and I'm going to talk about some political stuff, some unpopular opinions, some popular opinions. I'm going to talk about some some beer industry stuff since we now own and operate NewAcesBrewingCompany dot com in Corpus Christi, Texas. I'm going to talk about dogs, dog training, just everything that I think about. You see, I don't. I'm not married, so I don't have kids. I don't have things that people have to worry about. So it allows me a bunch of free time to do my own thinking. I'm not worried about picking up kids from soccer practice or cooking spaghettios or all that stuff. I do want kids one day, but I don't have them yet. And no, dogs are not babies. Fur babies is the worst word ever. And don't worry, I'm gonna touch on that. Fur babies. I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about not today, but I will broach the subject of People who want children so bad that they treat their dogs like babies. And quite frankly, it's kind of ridiculous. Dogs want to be treated like dogs. And that doesn't mean bad. It just means that you understand how dogs think and you treat them the way that they want to be treated. It's the platinum rule. My dad told me one time, the golden rule is to treat others how you want to be treated. The platinum rule is to figure out how others want to be treated and treat them that way. That's why dogs are not fur babies. They don't have thumbs. We can buy them and sell them. They're property. We can still love them, but they're not babies. We don't need to be putting them in strollers. But as usual, I digress. I don't even remember where where I strayed off. Oh, yeah. I have lots of thoughts because I don't have babies. But I do have dogs. But they're not babies. And currently, I still have Bentley and Bronco. So if you listened to the last podcast... Or the last series of podcasts from Nicaragua, you knew I had Bentley and Bronco. I also have a three-year-old Belgian Malinois named G- Gypsy, and Gypsy has been a super fun dog. Tons of energy, tons of drive, loves to play, and I compete in a sport called Mondio Ring, one word: M O N D I O R I N G. And basically, it's a sport that um, that tests the dog's working ability. So, originally the dogs were bred for protection work, police work, that sort of thing. And then um, civilians got their hands on them, started training them, and then they thought it would be fun to compete in their working environment. Super popular in Europe, especially Belgium, all the way up France to the Netherlands. And every country kind of has their own sport, and it's based on the breed of dog. So, Germany has theirs, Belgium has theirs. France has theirs, the Netherlands has theirs, and Mondo Ring is like a mixture of all of them. So I'll talk about that more in the future. It's just part of um, part of the update on what's going on in my life. A couple of things I want to touch on before I go through the timeline. Um, I'm assuming most of the people listening to this know me pretty well, so they're going to know what I'm about to talk about. But between the time I did the last podcast and now, uh, both my parents have passed away. So that was... 2018 was a rough year uh my dad passed away in 2017 in february and my mom passed away in july of 2018 so coming up on the two-year mark um it was it was rather unexpected on both accounts actually um yeah i'm not going to go into all the details but uh both passings were very unexpected and um It was a rough, 2018 was a really rough year, but I got through it, but not without the help of uh, family, friends, and faith. I don't know, I don't know how people can get through things without those three, but I'm thankful that I have all three. Uh, Great friends, solid faith, and great family. So if you fall in those categories, thank you. So what I did was kind of compile a timeline of of everything that happened in my life after I sold my construction business in 2013. So for those of you who don't know, I was involved in construction after I got out of college, uh, built homes for a couple of home building companies, went out on my own, built homes for a while, started a concrete business, uh, built it up until 2013, and then I sold it. So that's kind of what allowed me to take a sabbatical for, I guess, going on, I mean, it was like, uh, from 2013 to 2016. So three, four years solid. And then traveling a little bit, um, when I was getting things rolling with the, with the brewery. So I filled up a passport between 2013 and 2017. So four years filled up a passport. And that was one of my lifetime goals is to get a passport full of stamps before it expired. And I did it. I've maintained the, uh, the sailboat business. Um, actually still the owner. I have, a a right-hand gal down there named Juliette, who's from France, and she is running it. And she's doing a fabulous job. Juliette, if you're listening, thank you. So it's not the time to sell it. I would be interested in selling it, but it's just not the time. There's no tourism. Uh, COVID's got the whole country shut down down there. There's no flights in or out. So luckily, um, everything is paid off. It's not costing me anything. I'm still supporting the crew a little bit. We do little trips here and there. Um, surf adventures for people who lived down there uh, locals and that kind of thing. So it's kind of sustaining. It's not really paying any money to me, but it's not costing any money. So I'm fine with it. I'm fine with it that way. Okay. I'm going to get to the timeline stuff now. And basically I just, I'm recording this, you know, not just for, to entertain people. Hopefully I'll do that too. But for, for, friends or family that could go back, you know, 20, 30 years from now and and listen to this and have something to remember me by, or, you know, something they can share with people. Yeah. I just think, I think it's valuable to share your experiences and, you know, everyone, everyone has a story. I'm going to try to get some cool guests on. I mean, cool to the best of my ability, but you know, even people that, that wash windows at a stoplight, like they, there's a story there and and even though they might not think there's much to it, I could find something interesting. Like I can learn something from anyone if you just sit down and you ask them questions. And so that's what um, that's what my reasoning is for for doing this podcast to 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 get things off my chest and to share my my experiences. You know, sometimes it sounds a little bit like complaining. <laughs> I don't know. I mean a lot of times opinions uh, get taken as complaints and it's not necessarily the case. Like you think about Jerry Seinfeld and he just, he just observes things as he's going through life. And then he talks about them. And a lot of times it's like, it's little knickknack stuff that yeah, bothers you a little bit, but in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't, doesn't raise your blood pressure, you know? And I went back and listened to some podcasts from when I lived in Nicaragua and I'm like, man, it kind of sounds like I was just, complaining about everything all the time and I really wasn't I mean I chose to live there and I chose to leave and so like I didn't really have much to complain about I could have left at any time but it's just it's the little things that I notice and I I pick at them and that's just my personality and it doesn't mean I'm unhappy it doesn't mean I'm ungrateful it just means that I notice things and I and I point them out so if I do sound like I'm I'm nitpicking or griping or complaining tell me, but I probably won't change anything. So going back to the the timeline thing, I just want to throw it out there just so like, I don't know, stories can be kept in sequence because I'm going to, I'm going to go back and I'm going to tell stories just randomly, you know, on different podcasts from, from my trips and journeys and experiences. And I kept some rough bullet points from my travels and it's enough to spark my memory and, um, get me to tell some stories. So all randomly, you know, throughout the course of this deal I hope to tell stories of my travels and um in order to to fit things all together, this episode will will have like the timeline. So it'll also give people an insight into what I've done since since the last podcast. I hope that when this podcast gets published, everyone gets a notification and they can jump back on track. In the meantime, my cousins Harry and Jordan have started their own podcast. It's called Eskimo Bros 69. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's just them off the cuff recording their thoughts. Which, man, I applaud. I think everyone should do a podcast if they can. Um, yeah, but they want to fight Wojtek, which is a five foot nine Polish guy that's like trained in MMA, and they think they'll beat him. And they also think we didn't land on the moon. So you can listen to their podcast, but use caution. They're vulgar. They don't respect women. They're kind of racist. Listen to it at your own risk. That's all I got to say. I'm on there. I, I'm on there a couple of times. They had me as a guest episode call-in person. They refer to me as Hornball. I don't know why. But, um, yeah, I don't know. They call me Hornball. I'm not sure why. Okay, so in December of 2013, I sold Texas Foundations and Paving to one of my buddies, whose name is also Brandon, And we met at uh, David Weekly Homes. We built homes together. I went off, started my own deal. And uh, fast forward four or five years, I was ready to get out. He was ready to start his own deal. So we made a deal, and he bought Texas Foundations. That was on, um, I think, December 12th, somewhere in there, between the 10th and 13th of 2013. I remember because I went straight to my uncle's deer lease, like the day after we closed, and I bought uh, steaks for the entire camp, like Kobe ribeyes. And, um, yeah, I don't even know if they knew I was celebrating, but they got a celebratory steak. So the first trip after that, and I knew that I wanted to do some traveling. I knew that my plans were to, eventually I was going to end up in Nicaragua. The business had already been going. It didn't need me there. So, um, I knew that I wanted to travel around a while and then end up in, uh, in Nicaragua. So the first trip was to Guatemala. That was with uh, my mom, my aunt Debbie, which was my mom's sister, her daughter, Paige, my cousin, and family friends, um, Lynn and Hans. And Hans is German. He and Lynn lived in Germany for a while. Uh, Lynn went to high school with my mom. Actually, they were childhood friends, and Aunt Debbie also knew her. So they've been around. Um, they love to travel. Anytime we would go anywhere, they would come with us. And um, yeah, so they're always fun to travel with. You know, sometimes you travel with people, and they've never they've never traveled. But um, it's easy when you go with people who have who've been around the block. And that was a fun trip. We, uh, we flew into Guatemala City. Uh, so let me back up. See, I told you there's one. Uh, I'm just going to give like a brief overview of each of these trips and then the the in-depth stories I'll hit just any time randomly down the road in the future. So we flew. This was in uh, January of 2014. We flew into Guatemala City. And I had been there once before. So this is my second, second time to Guatemala. We went there. Uh, we flew to Guatemala City. Um, I think... I don't think we spent the night there. I think we got on a bus and went straight to Antigua, which is a little uh, colonial city. It's kind of nestled in the mountains, the hills. And we rented a house, a nice house kind of up on the hill overlooking the city. And we were right uh, right near a semi-active volcano. So at night, the volcano would just kind of spurt a little bit of lava. And um, I remember going and waking up my mom and saying, hey, mom, come look, come look at this and she, you know, stumbling out of her bed, just walking in there all groggy. And she saw it, and her eyes got all big, and she goes, holy shit! (laughs) Which was my mom's, like, classic surprise response. And then she, like, realizes that she cussed in front of her son, and she covers her mouth a little bit, and then, you know, everything goes on. Yeah, so we went there. We also went to Lake Atitlan, which uh, is this cool lake. It's a mountain lake. It's a, I think it, it's like the deepest lake in the world or something, deepest freshwater lake. It's basically just um, a valley that filled up with water. I don't think uh, there's no dam or anything. I think that's, it's all natural. And so it's cool. There's these little villages scattered around the lake, and you can only get there by boat. So we stayed, uh, we stayed in a house overlooking the lake. Uh, we went exploring a few days, checked out all the little villages. Um, I remember the main thing about staying at that house was we had... Uh, we had the caretakers come one night and they prepared everything for us to do, like build your own pizza. And it was so good. I've never had homemade pizza, but man, it was good. They, they made the dough and everything. And we just kind of told them what we wanted and they, they cooked it in a, uh, in a wood burning oven, just like the Italians do. And man, it was good. That's the meal I remember most about that trip. So I think that was it. Like a, I don't know, eight or 10 day trip, not too long. Funny statistic that I heard about Guatemala is that they have more helicopters per capita than any other country. It's very mountainous there. And I think a lot of the rich people just have helicopters they use to fly around. I don't know where they get the money. Surely it's not drugs. I don't know. After that, I uh, I came back to Texas in January. And then in February through April, I was in San Juan del Sur with the dogs. So I just, I figured it was going to be a test run. I just sold the business. I wanted to leave. I didn't want to sit around and figure out what to do with my house and pack everything up and all that. So my mom stayed at my house and I took off with Bentley and Bronco. And that was fun. That was kind of just a test run, get my feet wet, figure out where I wanted to live down there, reconnect with some old friends, see if there's any new opportunities there. I had been coming or going the whole time. I just never spent more than two weeks there. So in April, um, I leave. I go back to Texas, uh, and then May, May through June. So my buddy Steven moved up to Alaska. His company said that they would pay to ship his vehicles, he and his wife's cars up there. And I told him, I said, man, I'll, I'll drive your truck uh, if they'll if they'll pay my way. So he talked to the company, and they're like, yeah, sure. It's probably the same price as, as shipping it, you know? And so he was like, yeah, dude, go for it. So I loaded up the truck, me and... And Bronco, I didn't take Bentley because I think just two dogs would have been too much to manage in and out of hotels going up there. It was just, and Bentley had taken a trip to Arkansas with me a few years back um, before I had Bronco. Or no, I think I had Bronco. Either way, it was Bronco's turn to go on a trip by himself with me. So I loaded him up and we hopped in the truck and drove from Conroe, Texas to Anchorage, Alaska. And it was about eight days driving, and it was just me and him. And I'm telling you, by the end of the trip, we were both going crazy. I mean, he was such a good dog. He just slept in the back seat, you know, 10 to 14 hours a day, every day, for eight days straight. And there's not a lot of dogs that can do that, especially like, I don't know, he was like a five or six-year-old, you know, half lab, half golden retriever. So the dogs have tons of energy, but he was just a good, good dog. A few stories from that trip, I will uh, delve into them later. So, uh, that was really cool. I don't think I would ever do it again unless I have someone going with me, because like I said, you just, uh, you end up kind of going crazy a little bit. So I flew home, me and Bronco, uh, on Alaska airlines where you can fly dogs anywhere for a hundred bucks. Big shout out to Alaska airlines. We flew back home. And then, um, in May I took off, uh, my plans were to do like a three month trip in Europe. And so I started in Spain. I flew to Madrid and about two weeks of the trip, I had uh, a little bit of a health scare. So without going into all the details, I came back. But uh, the two weeks that I spent in Spain were pretty fun. I, uh, I, I got to go to a bunch of little cities that people don't normally go to. I did Airbnbs. I went to a festival where everyone is just, it's like a big wine smashing party. And then at the end of the, the smashing, everyone has like a big grape fight and you're covered in grape juice. And people are running around with wine and uh, water guns and shooting everyone. It's like to celebrate the end of the um, harvest season, and they uh, they use whatever's left from like the last year's wine or something. Maybe it's the the stuff that didn't make the cut. So so that was cool. So I was there for two weeks. I came back and I spent August through December in Conroe, packing up my house, getting organized. Uh, I rebuilt the deck. I just just um, I moved everything from my house into my shop. So I could rent the house out and, and move to, uh, move to Nicaragua full time and have the house rented. So that's what I did. Um, in January, I went to Malaysia to see Kale, who you heard on one of the previous podcasts and he's now my business partner and Melanie, he's married to my cousin. So they were living in Malaysia. This is January of 2015. What's in Malaysia? Uh, spent some time with them uh the three of us spent some time in thailand and then i went to cambodia for a week by myself so i think i was there for three and a half four weeks something like that and um got some cool stories from that trip too uh i think the main thing that kail and i did was just eat everything that people put in front of us i get asked like where where around the world has been my favorite place to eat and malaysia is my answer because it's like uh it's a mixture of like Indian, Thai, Chinese. Like it's all, it's all there. Like they have really good curries, they have good soups. That's it's really good. And um, yeah, Thailand and Cambodia were awesome too. In Cambodia, I did Angkor Wat, and then I went to um, all like the uh, the killing fields where Pol Pot held all the prisoners and saw saw everything there. So that was a very very fun trip. I didn't know who Pol Pot was. I didn't know what he put the people of Cambodia through. It was enlightening. I mean, I never learned that in any school. And he killed close to the same amount of people that Hitler did. But he gets, the, um, you know, the guy lived. He lived through it and died of like old age or something. It's crazy. Came back from that trip and in April of 2018 moved to San Juan del Sur full-time. Me and the dogs. That's when I started the podcast. So... That's kind of getting you caught up from when the business sold to when the first podcast started, Life in Paradise. Um, While I lived in Nicaragua, I went on a few trips too. So one of those trips was I went to uh, Belize with my buddy Wojtek, and that also is talked about on one of the previous Life in Paradise podcasts. I went to Mexico with a bunch of friends from San Juan del Sur. That's also talked about. I think the main takeaway from that trip was how good the tacos were. And then in August of 2016, I moved back to Texas. So that's kind of where the last series of podcasts ended at that time in August of 2016, I decided that we were going to go forward with the brewery. Kale and I, Um, I needed to get to Corpus to get things rolling, but I also wanted to get some experience at a brewery to put on my resume. So I just emailed a bunch of random breweries of places where I wanted to be. I thought, like, where do I want to be? I'm going to go there and find a brewery that I can work, you know, just say, hey, look, I'll work for free. I just want to come make sure I know what I'm getting myself into. And so I flew to Alaska. I found a little brewery there called 49th State. Uh, Vincent was the brewmaster. He kind of took me under his wing. I was by far the oldest guy there. It was in this tiny tourist town uh, called Healy, and it's outside of the National Park Denali where Mount McKinley is. So it's a straight up tourist town. They literally closed down for the fall and winter. So they need a bunch of seasonal help. So I came in at the tail end of their season. It was like me, which this, uh, by all their standards, I was an old guy with my two dogs and I had my own room. Most rooms you had to share, you know, with two people like dorm style and there's like community bathrooms. And so, but they gave me my own place and uh, they were good to me. So So I worked there for a while, uh, did a little flying around with Stephen. He lived in Anchorage then and still does. So I would go to Anchorage on the weekends. It was like a four-hour drive and um, hang out with him and his wife, Summer, and his son, Fisher. So it was nice to have friends that were basically like family that were close. Um, When I was up there, my days would be like I would go and work in the morning. So start work in the morning, and then we'd finish up like you know, five, six, seven o'clock in the afternoon, but it was still, you know, it was light outside. So I would still have until 10 or 11 o'clock of daylight. So I'd run back to my room, grab the dogs, grab my backpack and head out for a walk through the woods, just go walking. And I would find some trees and I would stop, set up my hammock, hang out with the dogs, listen to podcasts, listen to music, smoke some cigars. And um, funny thing, I I had cell phone service there So I get a text from my buddy, Doug, and um, he was, I I think it said, I dare you to meet me in Vietnam in two weeks. And I said, as long as my, cause I'd already planned on going home. So this was like a week before I'd planned on going back to Conroe and then moving to Corpus and then getting things going there. So I said, as long as my mom can watch my dogs, I'm in. So I called my mom the next day. She's like, oh yeah, sure. Sure. Of course. Of course I'll watch them. So. I think I ended up flying. I flew from Anchorage to Conroe and then three or four days later turned around and flew to Vietnam to meet my buddy Doug. So he th- I think he spent three months in Southeast Asia, but I was like, man, I can do like four weeks. So that's what I did. I flew home, dumped the dogs off, and flew to Hanoi. And we basically worked our way from North Vietnam all the way down to South Vietnam. It was an awesome trip. There's not a lot of people that I enjoy traveling with. Like, it's close quarters, you know. At first, I was like, I don't really want to share rooms. Like, let's get our own room. And he was like, no, nah, man, let's save some money. And so, we, for the most part, we shared rooms. Every now and then, when we'd stumble across, like, a really cheap place, we would, um, we would get our own rooms. But it wasn't bad. You know, we had, we had a great time. Tons of stories uh, from that trip. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll work those in here and there, but, um, yeah, that was the Vietnam trip. And when I got back, um, I knew it was time to go to Corpus. So my house was still being rented. I loaded up everything that I could fit in my truck, took the dogs, went down and I stayed with Melanie and kale for a while until I found a house. So I found a little rent house. It was close to downtown, which is where the brewery is going to be. Well, at the time we didn't know exactly where it was going to be, but it ended up being close. And so from November of 2016 through June 22nd of 2019, I was doing the brewery business plan. I was loan shopping. We ended up finding a loan. We got it closed, and it was an SBA loan, so those take you know, a bunch of time and energy to get done. So got that done and then started construction. We had to retrofit everything. This is an old building built in the 50s we had to get all the plans done, all our permitting, all the city permits, all the federal brewing permits, blah 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 blah. So that took it took 2 years, 7 months and 8 days from the time that I got there until the time we we're selling beer on June 22nd. So most of that time was spent doing all the organizing and managing and applying and planning and all that stuff. And so Let's see, October and November of 2017, uh, my friend Lindsay came down, which I think I talked about her in a few other episodes, but she flew down to Texas just to hang out, get away from the cold in Canada. And so I remember sitting there, I I will never forget this exact moment. We're sitting on the couch and she's like playing on her phone and she looks up at me and he's like, I want to get an RV. And I was like, "Uh uh-oh. I knew like she's not the kind of person that just says, I want to get something and then forgets about it. I was like, Oh yeah, you're going to get you an RV, huh? She's like, yep, yeah, I'm going to get an RV. <laughs> I was like, I was thinking, okay, like she's going to fly back to Canada, buy an RV. But like, she's like, nope, here's one right here. It's in San Antonio. Let's go look at it. I was like, okay. So I think she spent a couple more days looking around online at them, you know, figuring out what she wanted. And And it is natural for me, and it is for her too. Like, you think you want something, and you're like, I'm just going to get to something little. It's going to be simple. It's going to be easy. And then as time goes, this object gets bigger and more expensive and more fancy and more expensive and bigger. I remember, like, the perfect example. I wanted a boat. Like, I had the boat in Nicaragua, the sailboat, but I wanted a boat in Conroe. I live 10 minutes from the lake. Why do I not have a boat? So I was like, well see Sea-Doo and these, these companies who make jet skis also make these tiny little boats that have jet ski engines. And I was like, you know what? It's not like I'm going to be taking out a lot of people. It'd be nice just to have a little boat. I can throw the dogs in it, cruise around the lake. I can manage it by myself. It doesn't take a whole crew. And then so <laughs> that's what I started out. And by the time the boat buying day got here, it was like this cigarette boat, like this big, loud engine, super fast. And I was like, man, always, I always do that. And then, but I don't always regret it, but it's just how things go. So anyway, so we go to San Antonio, we look at the RV, it's like a great price, she tries to haggle with them a little bit, Um, they wouldn't do much, they finally, we struck a deal, we went back, we picked it up, and she's like, let's go to Maine. So we loaded up me, Bentley Bronco, and Gypsy, who was seven months old at the time, and I I don't know why she felt compelled to allow to take three dogs into her brand new to her RV, but she did. And it was super sweet of her. And it was one of the most fun trips I've done. I never thought I'd be the kind of guy that enjoyed riding around in a motorhome. They're pretty easy to drive. You have this gigantic panoramic windshield in front of you. I mean, you're sitting in like a lazy boy. You have full access to snacks and bathrooms. You're totally self-sufficient. And so... It was really cool. I mean, we would drive during the day, you know, seven, eight hours, find a cool spot, stay there for the night, and do it again the next day. It was really cool. We went and saw our friend Jamie up in Maine, and then, uh, you know, we went one route there, took a separate route back, saw the eastern half of the U.S., and, um, yeah, I could could be a motorhome guy one day. So, that ended... uh, And November 17th. So we're still, you know, I'm still pushing paper for the brewery. It doesn't really require me to be there every single day. I'm just moving paper, permits, that kind of thing. Um, Oh, yeah. Another thing that happened was uh, there was a huge storm in Nicaragua. It almost washed the boat into an oblivion. Uh, Did end up washing it up on the beach. But luckily, we had the most amazing crew ever. So we recovered the boat, uh, took it to Costa Rica, do all the repairs, brought it back, put it back in commission. So that happened uh, about the same time that we were doing the trip to Maine and back. So I was either on the phone with brewery stuff, on the phone with Nicaragua, or driving the RV for like three weeks. And it was awesome. Like I, I, had, a, I had a blast. So then we get back early November and um, my friend Diana, who had been in Corpus uh, working with Kale, she's from Romania. And I told her one time, I was like, hey, if you ever go back to Romania, let me know. I want to I go. So she's like, hey, I'm going back to Romania um, in November. So I was like, all right, I'm there. And I looked at flights and it was way cheaper to fly into Budapest, Hungary, which is next door neighbor. So I flew into Budapest, spent a couple of days there, hopped on a train, took a train to Cluj, which is in Romania. And uh, Diana was an awesome hostess. She took me around, showed me everything. Um. Yeah, it's cool to go places with people who are from there. You know, I much prefer that, especially foreign countries. I I much prefer that as opposed to like just being a tourist because you get to do all the fun stuff. So, she took me to like this little village where her aunt and uncle live, and they make their own wine. They make their own hard liquor. They process all their own meat. They grow their own fruits, own vegetables. Like I was like, man, like that's the way. Like we're doing it wrong. These people are. They're just living their life, man. Like they they process their they, like two pigs for each family and it lasts them all year. They show me how that they, they like preserve the meat and salt. And um yeah, it's just like a little team. They all come together during the slaughter time and they all help and they do one family's pigs, and then the next weekend they do another family's pigs. And like they, they use every single piece of the pig. So we we spent a weekend, you know, we killed and processed two hogs in one day actually. Um, it was one family and it was, you know, they, they're responsible for raising their own pigs, uh, throughout the summertime. And then, and then they come in the fall and they kill them. And then that lasts them pretty much all year. And it was just, um, it was super cool to see that family and the village come together and they have a little house that they call the summer kitchen, which is like, um, it's a kitchen where they all do all the processing. And they had this I mean wood fired stove and they're like frying cracklings while we're processing these pigs. From the pig, you know, it's like they cut the lard off and they're making food. We're eating it. It's just, it was super cool. And they made like stuffed sausage and boudin and everything you can think of that comes from a pig. They did it. I think the only things they threw away was like the bladder and the spleen. And, um, yeah, I don't think many people have had that opportunity. So I'm super, super grateful for that. It's one of the most memorable experiences that I've had. I have a few stories from that trip and, uh, they may or may not get shared on this podcast. So that was like the travel schedule. So that, you know, fills in um, the gaps between the last podcast you heard and this one. And I kept saying, I need to do a podcast. I need to start. I need to do it. I need to do it. I need to do it. And then um, it finally just all came to a head. I was like, okay, I'm doing it. So besides um, brewery, such a hard word to say, brewery related things, I spent a lot of time training gypsy for the sport that we competed in called Mondio Ring. And that's really about it. I mean, uh, a little bit of hunting here and there, um, training my dog. I've helped a few other people with their dogs, dealing with problems and whatnot. And then um, from August 2018 to June of 2019 was the brewery construction. So, um, And then June 2019 to July 2020 has been operating the brewery. Um, We kind of shifted midstream. We had never really planned on doing our own food until later in the future. Uh, we were just going to have food trucks, but you know, things change and uh, we needed to generate more money. So we started doing barbecue. So now we have Nuasis Brewing and Barbecuing. And um, we took my uh, long love for barbecue and um, my, and my knowledge that I've gained over the last 30 years of cooking barbecue combined with uh, one of our employees named Joey, who has worked at a couple of barbecue restaurants. So he knows the uh, ins and outs of the restaurant side, which, you know, not um, not ever working in a barbecue restaurant, you don't realize all the things that you have to account for. Uh, it's easy to make one or two briskets and just serve them for your friends and family. But to cook six or seven of them and to keep them hot all day and to keep them fresh, that's a little bit of a trick. So um, luckily, Joey was there, and uh, he was a big contributor to that. And uh, so, yeah, so here we are. It's um, July 9th, 2020. We weren't even able to celebrate our one-year anniversary properly because um, of this virus, you know. They um, think that being around people will spread it too quickly. And I've got so many thoughts on this, but I'm not going to go into them right now. It's about 940. So what I'm about to do right now is go get in the hammock. And listen to some other podcasts, but I wanted to get everyone caught up on the gap that uh, that I left, and I think I don't know. Like it just wasn't it wasn't the time of my life to do podcasts then, and I think it is now. And so I think doing it this way will allow me to go back and inject stories, and it won't be so vague. It'll make more sense this way. I don't know. What what do I know? I mean, we're all just like stumbling through life trying to figure it out. I feel like that's kind of cliche. I just think if I could take what I know now and go back to being 16, that would be like the funnest thing ever. Kale and I frequently talk about like, you know, if you're, if you're working on something or you're fixing something and you're, you know, you're using leverage a certain way, and you understand how physics work and you know that not to do this because that might happen. I look like we'll be doing something and, and I'll say to him or he'll say to me like, That wouldn't have gone well if you were 16, (laughs) but that's how you learn. You know, you just, uh, you just try things that you think will work and then something goes right or wrong. And then you, you build on that, you know, and that's, um, it's crazy to me that how it's just like, if, if every parent took that concept and made sure that their kids knew everything that they knew as soon as they could, then things would just be improving. I feel like I don't I don't want to say neglected, but I think parents are just so busy living their life that they're not really focused on like giving knowledge and information to their kids, equipping them to make decisions and to and to be leaders and to understand how things work. I really want to have kids one day and I think the most rewarding part will be seeing a kid who's a young adult, you know, knowing things or doing things that I didn't know until I was 30 or 35. And I just feel like that'd be a fun part of parenting. Um, yeah, I don't know. What do I know? I can barely train a dog. People really think that because I know how to train dogs, that I think I know how to raise kids, even though I never even said that. Like, those words have never even come out of my mouth. But people just assume that. I do think that I have a an understanding of dog behavior that most people don't. And I think that can be applied to raising kids, but obviously I don't think you can put kids in crates. Well, maybe, I don't know. Maybe you can put a kid in a crate. We'll find out one day if I have a kid. I mean, isn't that what a playpen is? Can we not use a playpen like it's a crate? Oh, I don't know. Can we not feed kids on schedules? Can we, can we condition them to eating at a certain time? And then maybe they won't cry because they want food. I don't know. What do I know? But I guarantee you if I have a kid, (laughs) it's going to be the subject of many experiments. Okay, it's 9.45 now. I'm going to go get some dinner. I'm going to chill out. And then tomorrow, I'm going to edit this thing. Try to post it. I have no idea how to even log into any of that stuff anymore. But I'm going to try my hardest to figure it out. Thanks for listening to the Life in Paradise podcast. And that's all, folks.